stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 13. It's going to be verses 1 through 7. That is page 552 if you're using the Bibles in the pews. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Therefore, he is the servant of God and the avenger and carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, who, therefore, one must be subject to only to avoid God, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pray to, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Guys can take a seat. We tend here at Proclaim to preach through books of the Bible from start to finish. And I tend to set those out well in advance, trusting that God's word not only has the right answers, but also asks us the right questions. One of the great and hard things about doing this is that you can't just skip over a passage you don't want to preach. That's also one of the reasons that we do this, because it forces you to deal with the text to deal with God's word, to submit to it rather than skip over it. We've come to one today that feels harder now than perhaps in a different time or at a different place. What do you expect when Paul opens up this entire section of the book of Romans with a call for us to be living sacrifices, right? You'd expect after that, For there to be some passages that are a bit challenging to our sinful hearts. And what I've realized is that while it maybe feels a little bit harder to preach Romans 13, 1 through 7 right now, in reality, that's not exactly true. You see, built into our sinful human nature Our indwelling sin that even we as believers continue to have is an aversion to submission. Was that not the issue in the garden at the tree? A desire to not not to submit to God's rule, but a desire to set up our own rule and to rule ourselves. The only reason submission seems easier sometimes, I think, is because those whom we are supposed to submit to happen at those times to be doing what we want them to do anyways, right? So it seems easier to submit 
but it's really because they're already doing what I kind of want. We live in a time when much of what the authorities over us are doing is not what we would like or what we would want. Or perhaps we're waking up to the fact that that has been the case for some time. We might not have liked certain things governing authorities were doing in the past, but we find ourselves increasingly in a situation where what they are doing may cost us something, or perhaps it already is costing us something. And that's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, and uh, it's challenging to know what to do. And with our backs against the wall now, we're asking the questions that we probably should have taken a bit more seriously before. So this morning, I'm going to ask four questions, and I'm going to try my best to answer these four questions according to this passage. So I ask for your grace this morning as I seek to do so, and hopefully as we do this, we all will be brought to a greater understanding of the word, a greater desire to submit to God's word and to God, and grace for one another as we seek to answer these questions in troubling times. So here's the questions I'm going to ask. What does it mean to submit to governing authorities? Why should we submit? How should we submit? And when does submission mean disobedience? So with that, let's pray. Lord, we know that ultimately you will be glorified in all things. We know that you are over everything. We pray that our world, our neighborhoods, our country, ourselves would be brought into submission and into alignment with your will, God. I pray as we look at this text more closely that you would be doing that through your Holy Spirit in us today. I pray all these things in your name. So what does it mean to submit to governing authorities? To answer that question, we first need to understand what it means in our text when it tells us to be subject to, or later in verse 5, when it reiterates the same command, same Greek word, one must be in subjection. What does that mean to be subject or to be in subjection? Commentator Douglas Moo defines submission broadly in this way. To submit is to recognize one's subordinate place in a hierarchy. To acknowledge as a general rule that certain people or institutions have authority over us. And so when that word is used in the New Testament, that is what it is referring to. To recognize one's subordinate place in a hierarchy and to acknowledge as a general rule that certain people or institutions have authority over us. And the word pops up throughout the New Testament within various relationships, within various spheres, if you will, uh, f at least four times 
it calls wives to submit to husbands. It, the, the New Testament calls children to submit to parents, even Jesus submitting to his earthly parents, Mary and, and Joseph in Luke 2. It calls slaves to submit to their masters, and First Peter adds, not just good ones, but unjust ones as well. It calls Christians to submit to their leaders in the church as well. And perhaps most important, multiple times, it declares that everything, everything is in subjection to or is subject to God and to Christ, even in Ephesians 5, declaring that the church is to submit to Christ. In the book of Romans, we see this word already twice being used in chapter 8. It says that the person that doesn't submit to God's law is hostile to God. That's how it describes them. If you do not submit or subject yourself to God's law, you are hostile to God. In Romans 10, it says that one either submits themselves to God's righteousness or, or you are seeking to establish a righteousness of your own. Those are the only two choices. That's how the word is used generally. Obviously, I could probably do a whole sermon just talking about the different uses. We don't have that much time. So that gives you a general idea of what submission is. Now, what are the governing authorities that passage is referring to? The word for authorities here, it typically denotes the possession and exercise of power. It can be either a sphere of authority or it can be a being who is exercising authority. You can imagine these relational spheres, and God has placed people as authorities in each one of them. Uh, family In families, you have husbands and fathers whose God has placed as an authority. In work relationships, you have masters over slaves and servants. In churches, you have elders, etc. In this context, it is clear that Paul is referring to governmental or civil authorities. In Paul's day, it's Caesar and all of those authorities under him. And in our day, we have our own system. And there is a hierarchy of civil authorities with different responsibilities, different ways of being in authority over us, right? We have a governor. We have a president. We have a senate. They all have different roles. We have a, a constitutional rule of law, right, that we have. And that plays a role in this hierarchy of authorities. What I want you to grasp at this point is this. Part of submission to God is acknowledging that there ought to be these hierarchies. I want you to understand this. Part of submission to God is understanding that there ought to be hierarchies in the world. That God has designed it to be that way. And at the top of every hierarchy is God. He is the top of the pyramid, if you will, top of the food chain. And we would like everyone on that hierarchy to acknowledge God, wouldn't we? But even if they don't, Having authorities, having a hierarchy is better than not having one, because that is how God has designed the world to function. 
What does it mean for Christians to submit to governing authorities? Christians should recognize where and how God has given authority to the government and they ought to obey accordingly. But we ought to do. What typically comes to mind, I think, when we hear the word submit is obey. And while they are very related terms, I want you to understand that they are not synonymous either. Submitting is not necessarily obeying. Obeying is doing what someone says. Submitting is recognizing what authority they do or do not have and responding accordingly. Now, typically, this will result in obedience because they are authority over us. Remember Romans 12, 1 through 2. Romans 12, 1 through 2 is still framing this entire section, this entire passage. It says that in view of God's mercies, we can be living sacrifices. We can discern what is good and pleasing to him, and then we can do it. Christians are looking for an opportunity to get into obedience to God, not an opportunity to get out of obedience to God. And submission then starts with submission to God. That's where it starts. Submission to authorities he has placed over us in their sphere of authority is part of what it means to be in submission to God. Let me give you a, an example. And I'm going to try to come up with a, uh, a silly kind of uh, non-confrontational, non-whatever example. It's just, you know, kind of you know, wheeze us into this sermon a little bit, right? Let's say you work for a cleaning service. Now, now may, I'm, someone is gonna, here is going to be working for a cleaning service, and they're going to be like, this is highly offensive to me. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, if your boss at the cleaning service tells you, hey, look, you need to clean the toilets like this. This is how you clean toilets. You go to someone's house, this is how you clean the toilet. You clean it like this. If that's what they say, then you clean the toilets like that. They are your boss. They get to tell you how in their business, right? I had a friend who run, uh, was the owner of a, a, a like a, whatever it was, a Mary Maids or something. Because he owns the company, he gets to tell his employees how to clean the toilet. That's what he gets to do. It's his, he has that authority. Now you, if you're a good employee, you may suggest a better way. If you believe you have one, you may respectfully say, Sir, uh, I can totally clean the toilet like that, but, I'm, but, but might you consider that this may be a better way to clean the toilet? At the end of the day, your boss says, no, you clean the toilet like this, then that's how you clean the toilet. Now, if your boss says, hey, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to save some time. And we got we to save some time here. Don't clean the toilet if it doesn't look very dirty but still charge them for cleaning the toilet. Submission, rightly understood, recognizes that your boss's authority is below the authority of God in your life. God says you shall not steal. God says you shall not bear false witness. And so you shall not. You ought not to obey your boss in that situation. Now that may mean 
That may mean that if you want to keep your job, you've got to double time it to get those toilets clean, to be honest to the customer and still appease your boss's timetable. And that may be the suffering that you have to go through in that situation, or you may need to go and find a different job. Those are both options to you, but your option is not to sin, to keep your bosses, to to appease your boss. Because God is your ultimate authority. Additionally, your boss has a sphere of authority, right? He doesn't get to speak into things outside of that sphere. Your boss might say to you, hey, I would advise you to clean your toilets at home this way. That might be good practice. But your boss does not get to say, you must clean your toilets this way at home or else you don't have a job anymore, right? He doesn't get to speak into what happens in your house. That's not his sphere of authority. And if he does, uh, I'm pretty sure, I know I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure that you, uh, that's extortion, or you can at least sue them for uh, wrongful termination, right? So we have other authorities who are supposed to keep that in check, right? Thankfully, not every country has that. Simply put, submitting to governing authorities is obedience to civil authorities in a way that submits to God as our ultimate authority. Do you understand? Let me say that again. Submitting to governing authorities is obedience to civil authorities in a way that submits to God as our ultimate authority. That's submission. As well as I can define it, you know. I'm trying. I probably spent more time on this sermon than any other sermon in my life. But why should we submit? Paul gives us a few reasons in the text. And when you consider uh, the surrounding context in which this passage, Romans 13, 1 through 7, is written, I think it, it, it maybe even brings a little bit more uh, uh, clarity to it as we think about how Paul is trying to safeguard his readers against certain assumptions that, that I believe he's worried the Roman Christians may make. And I hope that these reasons safeguard us as well. So, first reason, God sovereignly put them in authority. Why would this matter? And Christians might think that governments are part of the pattern of this world that Romans 1, or 12, 1 through 2 is talking about. And that they should not conform to these earthly institutions. That their very existence might be considered a pattern of this world. And certainly there are ways in which they conform to the patterns of this world. But the fact that they exist, Paul is saying, is not a pattern of this world. That is actually God's design. And so as a Christian, you don't disregard them. As a Christian, you can even participate in them because God has ordained them to be. God instituted government for particular functions. And God ordains and uses good and bad leaders in Scripture and throughout history for His purposes. So God sovereignly put them in authority. Second, civil authorities are meant to promote good and punish evil. Consider with me. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Do you remember this? It says, not to seek vengeance on your own, 
but to leave it up to God. Now, a Christian might think after Paul says this, well, then, then, any, then, then even human governing authorities, especially Christian ones, ought not to punish evildoers because we're commanded to leave that to God. And Paul's saying, no, hold on. I put governing authorities in place as part of what I do to bring vengeance to evildoers. One of the means that God uses to avenge those who do wrong is civil authorities. They rightly carry that hammer, if you will, or sword, to use the word in the passage. He's not saying that governing authorities have the authority to define what is good and evil. We know in context that Paul defines this in Romans 3, 8 through 10. We'll look at that more next week. But he defines it there by the second half of the Ten Commandments, right? As a basic framework for what is good and evil. And so governing authorities ought to, at their best, right, in the ideal world, bring about those things which are good according to the Ten Commandments and be a... Uh, restriction on those things that are evil, disobedience to the Ten Commandments. Paul, he, he's clearly not giving an, a description of the authorities of, of their time, right? Not completely. He calls them God's servants. He calls them God's ministers. He wouldn't say that of someone who's not obeying Romans 3, 8 through 10. At least he wouldn't say that of them in the ways in which they are not obeying those passages, right? Rather, I think it's best, like I said, to consider this is an ideal version of what authorities ought to be. This is, you know, their job description, description in a sense. In the ways in which they are doing this, then we have no reason to fear them. And they're doing what they ought. They're God's servants and God's ministers. And we know, as husbands, fathers in our families, that sometimes we lead really well according to God's word. And sometimes we don't. And we know, as bosses, if you're a boss in a workplace, that sometimes you lead really well according to God's Ten Commandments. Sometimes you don't. And I could use any number of examples there. And so it gives us a picture of what we as Christians ought to pursue, particularly if God puts us in civil authority, right? In fact, we need more Christians who are solid in both the truth of Scripture and the love of Christ in every level of government, right? School boards, Senate, police officers to the Supreme Court. We need more of God's servants leading in that way. Third reason, avoid God's wrath and have a clear conscience. We see this in verse 5. Paul reiterates 
uh, kind of the command and he repackages some of the reasons to avoid God's wrath. But it's not just God's wrath that we're seeking to avoid. It's not merely self-interest. I don't want to get punished, so so I'm going to do these things, right? Because if it's merely about self-interest, then when the government begins to do things that they ought not to do, then you'll just obey for your own interests, not because that's actually obedience to Christ, right? Or when Or when, um, yeah, when we need to, we need to submit to God. We're so wrapped up in our own interest rather than in obedience to God, we'll tend not to do that. So he adds this clear conscience element. That knowledge, you know, that you've disobeyed God. Have you ever had that? Well, you know, I know this is what I ought to do, but I'm not doing it. Or I know this is what I ought not to have done, but I did it in your conscience, you know. When civil authorities are acting within their God-given sphere and we disobey them, we've acted against God's servant there, and thus we've acted against God. And our conscience ought to be smitten by that fact. There is a good and pleasing way to live under civil authorities. And we are to discern it. And we are to have a clear conscience about it. Consider how Peter commands servants in 1 Peter 2. Servants be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, he says. When mindful of God, right? Not, not mindful of your self-interest, not mindful of, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Even if we rightly disobey the governing authorities to obey God, that does not give us license to disobey the authority completely. That would be lawlessness. That would be anti-Christ. We should not resist any civil authority in its proper administration of that authority, even if they improperly administrate their authority in other ways. There is even commands to treat them honorably for the position that God has given them. Listen, think about this at the end. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to... What is implied in that is you are actually using your mind that's been renewed by Christ to determine what is owed and what is not owed. In what ways you ought to submit to them and in what places you ought not. And when we do resist, we ought to do it in sinless ways. In order that it may be a gracious thing in the sight of God. You see, government... 
government is a gift from God. To maintain order. We must be in subjection. Because this is how God is governing the universe. This is part of how God governs the universe. In other words, God has decided to govern this aspect of our lives through civil authorities. Anarchy is not a Christian virtue. Even bad government is better than no government. The bottom line is this. Our submission to authority is obedience to God. Our submission to authority is obedience to God. So how should we submit? There's a few ways we should submit. This is certainly not an exhaustive list, but these are the the things as I've studied and as I've reflected that kind of rose uh, to the top, if you will, and so I hope they're helpful to you. First, Christians should be model citizens whenever possible. You, Christian, should be a model citizen whenever possible. You should be the kind of person your neighbors want to be in your neighborhood. You should be the kind of Kansas Cityan, if you will, that Kansas Cityans want. Even when our Christian beliefs disagree with the trends of this world, our fellow citizens, or at least the rational ones, ought to think, well, I don't really like that they believe that, but I'm sure glad they're my neighbor. This also means... That we shouldn't be neglectful in our civic duties. And frankly, this is one that's kind of convicted me as I've studied this. I think I've often been very neglectful in my civic duties. We have certain rights and privileges and responsibilities in the system that we live. And God's sovereign over all and he's sovereign over our system. And so he's given you an opportunity within our system to do certain things, and if we want to complain about governing authorities being neglectful in their job, and we're being neglectful in our role, that's kind of hypocritical, isn't it? Am I stewarding the opportunity that God's given me here as a United States citizen for the cause of Christ? Am I faithful with what God has called me to do? You might say, well, I just, you know, what's one vote? What's, you know, well, it's a lot more than a lot of people around the world have. We need Christian people faithfully and sacrificially serving in government as well. I understand it puts a target on your back, but listen, I'd rather have a Christian imperfectly seeking to glorify God in those roles than a non-Christian intentionally seeking to bring about sin. Another thing that we can do. Christians should respect and honor people in authority even when we disobey and or vocally disagree. Submission to authorities does not mean a blanket statement of their actions, nor does it mean silence when they're wrong. I think sometimes in our world today that if someone says, well, we should submit to that, our assumption is that that person is condoning that thing. But I think those are two different issues, and I think it'd be important for us to keep them separate. There are times when we will need to submit to what the government says we ought to do, and at the same time, speak out against that thing. They are not mutually exclusive, right? 
But how we speak up and how we act, it matters to God. And it's very easy to fall back and revert back to middle school jokes about people who aren't around to defend themselves. And I think it's a waste of the voice that God has given us. And I've, I'm guilty of it as, as much as anyone probably. Listen, don't hear me saying that we should avoid strong words in strong terms. My point is that we are wasting our strong words on petty jabs. I heard someone use this analogy for a similar issue, and I'm going to kind of use it in this instance. The truth of God's word is like fire. And we need the fire of biblical truth to keep us warm and to light our path in this life. The stronger the fire, the more warmth and the more light. But a side effect of weak fire is smoke, right? And when you have a weak fire and you have a lot of smoke, it keeps people from drawing close to the warmth and the light that they need. And when in our fire we make these petty jokes and we allow ourselves to sin, we bring about more and more smoke that actually keeps people at a distance from the light and the warmth that they need. And the more that we breathe that smoke in ourselves, the more harm it does to us as well. And so listen, I'm not, I would not say by any stretch of the imagination, that we should soft pedal, that our government has been making decisions or trying to make decisions that are leading to the mass murder of millions of children and a concerted effort to destroy the family. Be direct, I think that there's been an attempt in one year to try to pass two pieces of legislation that are, I think, at least it, uh, that I know of, the most immoral pieces of legislation ever to be attempted to be passed in the United States. Now, I, know, I have not read every single piece of legislation that has been attempted to be passed, right? So you might come up with one that is worse. But of that, those that I know, I don't know that there's any that are worse. I would not suggest that anyone soft pedal that. Those who are for these things are against God, and they will incur his wrath and his discipline and his judgment, period. Jesus and Paul, they never used their strong words for a cheap laugh, though. They used them to warn people the direction they were headed and to warn others to not follow that path. Another thing Christians should do in submission, they should recognize that the government has no authority in the church. I want you to understand this. God has given authority to husbands for their households, to elders for the church, and governing authorities for civil government. Each has their sphere of authority. And each should do so in respect and submission to God. Now, the government, I believe, does have the responsibility to its citizens for public health. And I'm glad to pay the government to monitor infectious diseases, to develop medicines and vaccines, at least when they do so ethically. 
I'm glad for them to warn us as best they can with the knowledge that they have of the dangers to our health that are around. But God has not given the government authority to tell any church that that danger outweighs our command to gather in worship of God. Nor does the government have the authority to tell us what we can and cannot do in worship, period. And I pray that it doesn't come to that point. But I also steady myself that one day I'll be here preaching and someone will walk in those doors and put me in handcuffs and walk me off. And I know that that's a reality. Look, I've already got enough content on the podcast, right? I mean, listen, the responsibility falls on the elders of the church to make that decision. They can and should weigh the advice of governing authorities, but they should not defer their responsibility to the civic government. And I will say, and this is probably a sermon for a different day, but you parents ought not to defer your responsibility in your household to the government as well. Last thing. And I think I think I changed this last one this morning, just the wording just a little bit, and I think it fits better, so you'll have to roll with this. Christians should petition the king who holds the hearts of kings in his hands. Christian should, Christians should petition the king who holds the hearts of kings in his hands. Scripture says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. If we believe that God has sovereignly placed these authorities in these positions, then we must trust God and we must go to him. Everything that a Christian does in relation to governing authorities should be littered with prayer. If we have doubts whether we should obey, then we ought to pray first. If we have concerns over our government's decisions, then we ought to be praying. If we have any desire for Christian authorities, then we should pray. If we believe the scriptures to be true, why are we not praying? Why should we complain to people about our government when we haven't even petitioned God about it first? Now, prayer isn't all we do, but it should be the start of what we do. It should undergird what we do. It should surround everything that we do. It should be mixed in with every single step we take. Certainly, you could come up with other things, but those are some ways in which we ought to submit. When does submission mean disobedience? Look, this is, this is probably, this is the part y'all were waiting for, right? Could he tell us? As I've already said, I believe Paul's concern is that the Romans will draw the conclusion that governing authorities have no place at all in what God is doing. And for that reason, they'll find, uh, they'll try to, to say, well, we, you don't submit to them at all. And I think that's a mistake. We don't, we don't, we're not proponents of some sort of like uh, extreme libertarianism, right? Where it's just like, oh, it's just a free-for-all. And we believe that there's a place for government. And Paul commands, uh, uh, Paul command, Paul's command is to Christians 
and his focus is on why we should submit. That being said, we've ruled out also the idea of absolute obedience or absolute disobedience, right? We, we also would say, well, no, we're, we don't believe that it should be some sort of totalitarianism, right? And this leaves us with, I think, two primary possibilities that have been the most popular among Christians and that have been considered and developed over the centuries. And so I'm going to just, look, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, and I'm sure someone's going to come up to me and go like, well, Cody, you know, you missed this, or you just, you know, and I, it's not quite right, and I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to propose two general ideas, and, and there's lots of little nuances in, in between. The first I'm calling the passive approach. It's grounded in the explicit commands and in this view, the Christian is primarily concerned with themselves, with, with themselves in the sense of my own conduct, right? The simplest way to describe it is this. If the government tells you to do sin, you disobey. And if the government tells you not to do something that God commands, you disobey. Otherwise, you mostly stay out of the way or attempt to. And I'd say that it's positive, the positive of this approach is that it highlights the truth that the gospel is transcultural. It can, it can work in and through all sorts of cultures, all sorts of governments. It's not, uh, it, it can work in, in China and it can work in the United States and it can work in Argentina. It can work in South Africa and work all these different ways of, of going about things. Christians can live in each of these different environments and cultures and, and under these governments and be faithful to Christ. The negative is that it can turn into an unwillingness to take risks or to be active in the public square. We can begin to think, well, I'll just let other people do this whole government thing or run for mayor or run for school board or run for whatever because I'm a Christian and I'm just going to be concerned with this stuff over here. It's kind of this mindset, if I don't put myself out there, then I can't make a mistake. I can't accidentally do something wrong. But Paul's appeal to conscience or to pay what is owed implies that we are to consider the government's actions according to that biblically renewed mindset, and we are to work to that end, right? We are to consider what is or is not owed. And so there's this other approach, this second approach. I call it uh, the active approach. That's what I'm calling it. And it agrees with the rules of the, the, the passive approach, but it kind of takes it one step further. It sees in Scripture, probably less in Romans 13 here, but in other passages particularly, an opportunity, if not an obligation, for Christians to hold the government accountable to its place in the God-given authority hierarchy. When they rule in the way that is outside of their God-given place, then we disobey and we work towards their conforming to God's design. This is concerned not only with our own obedience and disobedience to God, but also with our duty to keep rulers in check, if you will. We protect others from tyranny and work against the disobedience of the governing authorities, preferably utilizing other governing authorities and processes to do so. One example of this may be that if a church chose to meet during uh, and chose that they were not going to wear masks, 
uh, as the state had told them, that they would use the process of suing the state, which is a right that we have as, belie- as, Christi- or as citizens of the United States. They would use that, that um, means to try to keep the government in check. And I'd say that the positive here is that it highlights the truth that the gospel is transforming culture. It's not just trans culture, but it's transforming culture, meaning that the gospel uh, works into the culture and into the government, and it, it, it shapes it in more biblical ways. The negative that I see is sometimes people can take this as a means to justify sin for the greater good, or what they consider to be the greater good, which, which forgets that the transformation that we're looking for is transformation that happens through the gospel the gospel. And oftentimes it leads to unintended consequences. So Christians in different times and places have wrestled with these issues. We are only starting to consider it on a broad scale, I think, here. And we all agree that not obeying God because of fear of governing authorities is of primary importance to us. We must obey God, period. But how we go about that, in, in my opinion, there's, there's probably something from each approach that we need. We probably need people in both camps helping to refine us, to make sure that we stay in alignment with God's word. And you know, I'd wish that we were all on the same page with things like this, but it's just not going to happen. I was just this week at a work, preaching workshop with 60 other guys who are all striving to understand God's word and to preach it rightly and faithfully. And my guess is, is conversations touch on such topics from time to time that it was apparent that there were different people who had different, slightly different views on what approach we ought to take. And all of these men, best of my knowledge, are are committed to preaching God's word faithfully. So what do we do then? What do we do when we're on different pages? What do we do when a friend is on a different page, uh, another believer, another church, another whatever person in our gospel community is on a different page than we're on? Well, I think, I think this is where we look to Jesus. Jesus who submitted to his earthly parents as a child. Even when he scared them by obeying his heavenly father instead and staying in the temple, right? Jesus who submitted himself to the will of the father prayerfully on his knees in the garden saying, Lord, if, if, you could, if this cup could pass from me, please, Lord. And yet when the people came, He stood up, he rose, and he faithfully took up his cross for us. Jesus, who patiently warned his disciples about what he needed to submit himself to, but also firmly rebuked them when they urged him to do otherwise. Jesus, who never abandoned them, even when they all got it wrong, but restored them to himself. Jesus, who submitted himself to the cross to forgive us of all the times and all the ways that we do not submit to him. 
this Jesus. This same Jesus. God exalted above every single thing on earth. Everything is in submission to our Lord. And so, in the face of unjust authorities, we can go forward knowing that our king has all things in his hand. That he brings all things to justice. That he works all things for the good of those who love him and for the glory of God. These are the mercies of God we are to keep in view as we consider submitting to governing authorities. Let's pray.